We'll be looking at Hebrews chapter 8, and your bulletin says verse 12, but it's verse 13. Oftentimes my wife makes the bulletin while I sleep. I'm watching the baby, actually, is what's happening. She's making the bulletin. I'm, I'm helping the baby sleep. <clears throat> no, I was thankful that she does it while I sleep. Sounds like Miss Barber's wanting to do the bulletins. Uh, <clears throat> we're in chapter 8 of Hebrews, and uh, we're looking, and we'll, we'll start reading again with verse 7, uh, that we would remember the context in which we receive uh, the, the scripture that we look at this morning. It says in verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And I did not care for them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Let's pray. Father God, as we uh, assemble this morning, Lord, according to your word and obedience to it, uh, Lord, and for the sake of worship, uh, an exaltation and adoration of our Savior Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless this time that we have together, bless the reading of your word, bless the hearing of your word, Lord, and bless it so that it would be applied to our lives and that we would uh, be sanctified by it, washed in it, Lord, that we would look like our Savior Jesus Christ. And as we uh, think of all of the prayer requests that have been mentioned today, Lord, uh, we just pray that according to your will you would see fit to uh, move upon those situations and circumstances, uh, God, but also that we would uh, consider uh, the more weighty and spiritual prayer request that we should have, Lord, that uh, we would be conformed to the image uh, of the Son, God, that we would be altered in mind and spirit uh, and in life by the word that we read this morning, that it would be uh, truly beneficial, God, that you would cause us to reap uh, from that which you have sowed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we just thank you uh, for the opportunity, Lord, and ask that you would enable us to worship in spirit and in truth this morning. Lord, that we would see things uh, with a true gospel lens, that uh, we would see every script, scripture as Christocentric, Lord, modeled around our Savior who is before the beginning, uh, Lord, who is eternal and who is God himself. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for the time and uh, and the place in which we may worship. Uh, Lord, we pray for your church universal that this day uh, the truths of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed from uh, pulpits and housetops and homes and wherever uh, Christians may meet. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, as you would <coughs> read the final text of this chapter this morning, uh, when he said a new covenant 
he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. It, it at first uh, glimpse appears to be a, a summary of what we have read throughout uh, the extensive time that we have spent in chapter 8. Most of certainly those things described from verse 7 to verse 12. And I would in no way take away from that that it is a summary. It seems sort of uh, redundant from what we've heard. Speaking of this new covenant, but I would uh, submit to you this morning that there is more than what meets the eye. And of course that must be the case with any scripture for the natural man cannot comprehend it but this is set aside and it is made holy and it is made uh, fruitful for those whom have come to know christ uh, through what we will see this morning is his great grace and mercy and i think that is indeed the the very topic of verse 13 not to simply describe to us what is happening with the new covenant and who is doing the work though uh, as it is accredited to uh, god the almighty father in heaven but as he is revealing the truths of his son Jesus Christ in this new covenant, he is also depicting for believers uh, something that I believe is monumental in understanding the passage, and he is revealing, that is, his grace and his mercy. Uh, this morning I believe that uh, as we would read this particular portion of the Scripture, we may have uh, different opportunities as we would look online or that we would read sermons and they would take away a different perspective but i would say this morning that uh, the lord would have us to see how abundant his grace is in the fact that there is this new covenant and that he is making the first obsolete i want to begin as we normally do by looking at these things uh, line by line and, and letter by letter it says when he said again speaking of god and that must be important to each scripture that we read not just the ones that are in red letters uh, or the ones that say it uh, so specifically like we read this morning when he said we must know that uh, this is most certainly speaking about god revealing directly uh, this new covenant this word by word uh, god breathed scripture but we must also remember that that is every text of scripture uh, for the integrity of Scripture is not based upon man's ability to translate or to render from a language, but it is based upon God's preservation of what He has spoken and He has given. This morning, that is very clear in the words, when He said. Just in case anyone forgets where Scripture comes from, this morning the text is very clear. God is saying. And it's interesting that in the end of chapter 8 with this last verse, he is sort of ending chapter 8 the same way that he began chapter 1. He is speaking about a new covenant in which he has revealed this is Jesus the Christ. You may remember, and it has been quoted many times as, we've, as we have gone through Hebrews, uh, he said, uh, in, the, in, in this beginning chapter, in many portions, in many ways, uh, diverse manners, it says in the King James, that he has spoken to the prophets through the fathers in times past, uh, through prophetic visions, uh, through dreams, 
through direct contact, but in no way and no more does he speak that way. It says in these last days he speaks to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, and that is apparent this morning as we read verse 13. When he said, God, and this is not only declaring that God is speaking in the present time in which we receive the verse, but he is uh, speaking uh, in its literal giving, in its initial giving, that is. But it is also saying that he has said even before that, it's telling about the preeminence of this new covenant, about this eternal existence of this Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. For it is not just Jesus who becomes a Christ when he is born in the flesh of man and goes to the cross and is dead, buried, risen, and ascended, but he was the Christ even before, as we will see, that the text of Scripture will support as we look deeper this morning. But when he said, this being God, a new covenant, it's declaring two things for us. One, that God is, uh, well, more than one of two things, but two things that we should take away, that there is a new and that there must be an old. Uh, In the progression of things, We would like to think that most of the time the new is better than the old, and that most certainly is true with God, for he has declared that this new covenant that he is effecting is uh, enacted on better promises. It's enacted on a better promise because it's enacted on a better person. The first covenant was enacted upon sinful human beings, and it relied upon their ability to keep or fulfill the law, that which they could not do. And this better covenant that we see, this new covenant this morning, is enacted on a better promise whose name is Jesus Christ. Not only is he a better promise, but he's a better man. And he's not only the better man, but he's the best man. Remember, I had an acquaintance one time, and he forgot his password to his uh, online banking. And, you know, and I always ask those security questions. And his name was Chad, and I said, it's asking the security question i was trying to help him figure out his password and the the question was who was the best man at your wedding and he said chad and i said there was another guy there named chad and he goes no me i was the best man there and this morning i want us to see that when the text talks about the best man and the new covenant he's not talking about uh in human sinful form but he's talking about a man who has taken upon himself the flesh of man and who is truly God and truly man, but who is intently and perfectly and always the best man. That is this new covenant. And he says that this is a new covenant, speaking about Jesus the Christ. In fact, that is the point in which most people will be lost when reading this. For if you have not, we know the majority being the unbeliever, uh, for many find this broad path to destruction and few find this path to life this narrow path that is the path in which the savior leads like he has through the promised land here we see that it says that there's a new covenant in fact we know that most people don't uh, abide by or look for or or even attend to this new covenant most do not believe in jesus the christ or many may profess that he is Uh, existing but few follow this christ in fact that must be uh, the first thing that we take away that this is uh, a new covenant that demands knowing jesus christ as lord for you cannot 
have the benefits nor be a recipient of this new covenant if you not know the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that possible? Well, it must be through the preaching of the word. It must be through the gospel. And we'll see that this morning this new covenant is exactly that. It's the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that men may have life in his name. It's very interesting that we call it a new covenant and we know that there are two parties and as we see the old covenant uh, in verse 7, the two parties being God and man, we see that the fault is found and it's not with the covenant itself and it's not really uh, with the maker of the covenant, but it's finding fault with them, those recipients of the covenant, those parties upon whom it depended in some part. And this morning, a new covenant is enacted and a new covenant is being spoken about. A new covenant has come and relieve the old of its burden and its ways and uh, according to those things we see that no longer does sinful man need to rely upon self and in fact never has he been able to for every man is a liar we see this morning it says uh, that there is a new covenant and he has made the first obsolete we see two things about that one that the old covenant is obsolete which we'll revisit and we see something else that he has made this should tell us a lot about the god in whom we worship god whom has saved us according to this new covenant he has made didn't depend upon man man could not alter it satan could not defeat it but he has made and he has decided and he has willed and he has foreordained this new covenant even before, as we will see soon, uh, before the beginning of time. Interesting that we see these things. He has made the first obsolete. In fact, uh, as man is made aware of this first covenant, as man is made aware of the laws, it really speaks to me about the gospel uh, and I'll, I'll show you uh, how it is relevant because when this first is made, it is soon, and you may say immediately, beginning to dwindle and disappear and decay, this first covenant. Doesn't that sound like what is happening with sinful man? That uh, the moment that he enters into life, he is dying. That should speak volumes to us. What does the Bible say is the remedy for that? Well, 2 Corinthians declares that we must know Jesus Christ and that in knowing Christ, he will make us new creatures. All things, behold, he says, become new. That is what we need. And that is the significance of this new covenant. As much as man needs to become new, so does this covenant. It is failing. It is dying. It is revealing to us the depth and, and the brevity even of sin in this life because it will bring us to destruction. And it is declaring the ultimate fulfillment of this new covenant in an eternal Jesus Christ. He has made the first obsolete. Not only has he made and that he has willed and that he has declared and that he has given this second covenant, but he, Jesus the Christ, being very God himself, is making the first obsolete. If there's ever a time to say amen, now would be the time. Jesus Christ is making the first obsolete, not merely with words or with text or with promises, but with life with blood 
with fulfillment of every Old Testament scripture and Old Testament law, Jesus Christ is making obsolete. And now at this point we may say he has made obsolete for he has brought life to dead men. Everything that any Old Testament saint was looking for was life and it must come only by Jesus the Christ. It is monumental again I say that we understand he in his person and in his works and in his fulfillment of scripture has made the old to become obsolete. What a wonderful thing for the follower of Christ, for those who inherit the kingdom of God. And it says, and growing old and is ready to disappear. At the time that this was given, this was what was being said. If we understand it all, we'll, we'll revisit the question that many new Christians love to ask. What about end times? Are we in the last days? Growing old and ready to disappear at the time that this was written is what it says about the old. You best believe we're in the end times. You best believe that the nearing of our Savior could be in the very next moment before we even finish the sentence, before you partake of the fried chicken. That is the reality of this new covenant in regards to the old that is obsolete and ready to disappear. Ready declares that it was prepared for disappearing, that it was made for this purpose, ready to disappear. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ was the only plan of salvation. Never a prayer. Never some kind of penance that you could do. Never an offering. Never a tithe. It was ready to disappear because Christ was ready to mediate, to serve, as Hebrews declares, in an appointed position as an advocate and a mediator in this role as great high priest, yea, greatest, highest priest. That is why it is growing old and ready to disappear. And what I would uh, liken to that this morning is the reality of sin in the life of the believer. Because of this new covenant, we ought to be ready and, yea, even engaged already in disappearing to self and living to Christ. This morning, as I said, the message of this text, of course, is the life that we may have in Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, but it is centered and, and surrounded by the grace of God in which he may make the old disappear, both the covenant and the old sinful man this is how we must see the text this morning when i was reading now as we've uh, gone through the 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 immediate context of the scripture i would like uh, to look deeper into what we see and uh, look at some things in which i noted uh, in regards to this text and most certainly in regards to the grace of god and you may feel the same about it many believers uh, would look at grace, and, and I actually had a conversation, interesting, it would come up this week, I had a conversation with Nathan this week about uh, covenantalism and some of the things that our Presbyterian brethren believe, and uh, I don't necessarily discount uh, most of what they believe, I just think that the failure with man is the same as it has always been, to never carry things out far enough. We say that we believe in God, but do we carry it out so far as that we serve him? In every way, in every possible, every possible moment, do we also, when we look at the grace of God, do we carry it far enough? 
And in fact, I would say most people do not even believe in Christians. For when we consider grace, uh, we know that it is common that many people uh, mistake grace for something that God has just begun to exact upon his people in the New Testament. We sometimes hear people uh, call this new covenant and this time of the New Testament a dispensation of grace in which I always ask which dispensation was not a dispensation of grace. When has God ever failed to be gracious? When has God ever failed to be merciful? This didn't just happen at the time of Jesus's death, but grace has been given from God from the beginning of time thought this morning as I would look through these uh, scriptures and consider when God has been gracious, I thought how many times we may give an account of when God was gracious to this faithful man or this faithful woman in this time of need or this faithful family. And I was reminded that God has been even more gracious to the sinful. This morning, if you understand that grace exists i think it is important that you understand and revisit the fact that grace exists because sin is rampant god has not been gracious uh, to a faithful few and to the righteous because of their goodness he has been gracious because they are sinful if we sit under the gospel of jesus christ this morning and if we are are moved or learned or washed by the text of scripture it must be because we realize that grace is for us because we are iniquitous because we have sinned against the almighty god not because we are good and we have found favor with the lord simply though that is uh, a truth it has not carried to its logical conclusion we have been recipients of god's grace because he has chosen us in our sin before we were even born grace of course assumes rightly so mercy mercy assumes sin sin assumes death morning it could not be any truer than to consider the grace of god to his people to his church amidst our sin i want us to look if you will at john chapter one understanding this new covenant in which the old is becoming obsolete we must see that it is a grace of god that the new covenant is given because the old would not suffice for salvation the old was not gracious in some way and in some ways it is it was not the fullest extent of god's graciousness because it is gracious that god would allow a sinner to breathe it is gracious that God would allow a sinner uh, to live long enough to sin, but even more so is it gracious of God to bring that sinner to repentance and save him. This morning, uh, this is true when we read John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Think about that. If we may now go back to the Old Testament, 
or the new, you pick whichever you like, and we would see that God was gracious in some form or that God was ever truthful in some fashion or at some time. The text in John chapter 1 says it came by Jesus Christ. It tells us two things. One, that, uh, that this Jesus was coming to save before man was created, and it tells us that in him is the definition of grace and truth that apart from him, he would not be God and God would not be the Father. And in actuality, what we see is a picture of the triune God because this Jesus is grace and truth. For if God was ever gracious and truthful, Christ must have been there. A preeminent, eternal Christ is what we see. Then we look uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. All of these texts, I believe, uh, very important in understanding uh, what we see this morning. Second Timothy chapter 1. It says, I thank God in verse 3, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher for this reason I also suffer these things but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What a monumental uh, phrase from Paul to Timothy. Consider again what he says beginning in verse 9 who has saved us and called us by a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose. There is the passing away, uh, the dwindling, the dying out of that first covenant. Those things are not working. Those things are not saving, but they are serving a purpose according to his own purpose and grace granted us in Christ. When was that grace granted? It's granted in Christ. It's realized when Christ has come, uh, been given on the cross, given his own life, he says, willingly, and that he is dead, buried, resurrected, and then ascended, and the realization occurs then, but it was given in Christ from before the beginning. Text declares it. From all eternity, it says, right there before verse 10. But now has been revealed. And what we understand is 
Uh, if there is a shortcoming of understanding the grace of God, if we somehow think that the grace of God is just appearing in the New Testament after the coming of Christ, it's because we have not seen the Jesus that has been revealed from the beginning. Boy, there's verse 7 reminding us again from Hebrews where it says, finding fault with them, the fault in understanding Scripture is again with us if we not see the grace of Jesus Christ before the beginning of the world. For God most certainly knew that man would sin. He knew that uh, he would still need to be just. He would still need to be righteous, holy, truthful. And what he did is he has prepared a way for us. Much like what we have seen in the previous portions of this passage when it talks about leading those Israelites uh, through the wilderness. I want to again look at uh, Timothy, first chapter. It says in verse 8, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, or manslayers, <coughs> for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And here he begins to describe himself, Paul, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief and verse 14 declares how this is possible and the grace of the lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in christ jesus this is a faithful saying and worthy of all accept of all acceptation that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners of who i am chief when i look at hebrews uh, chapter 8, verse 13. And we look at what is being said in the text there. We must see that the grace of God that had appeared to Paul and that was upon Paul in so much that the chiefest of sinners was saved is that very new covenant that is being uh, revealed to us in verse 13. That is making obsolete. And what is interestingly uh, noted about it when he describes the grace it doesn't say that this is the first time that i understood the grace of god uh, because i became a righteous man according to christ it wasn't because i was now following that this was the first time that i had received the grace of god but he said it had appeared to him now abundantly more magnified and more increasingly what it what it reveals to us is not only that at salvation is god's grace seemingly at its at its most potent form and fashion but that it has always been there even to the unbeliever and paul is recognizing that that when i was in a sinful state an iniquitous state god was gracious 
I even hate to say the word was there. God is gracious because he was never failing to be what he has always been for he has been gracious from the beginning. All of the attributes of God and all the characteristics of God are from the beginning and even before and shall be after. He said it was a glorious gospel of the blessed God that this grace had appeared. What a wonderful thing, exceeding, exceeding what it had before. And this morning, uh, if, if there would be any unbeliever, I would say, uh, this is the point in which the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that we see the grace of God in our lives. Maybe not yet to salvation, but it could be. We have no knowledge of that until the time comes when it is revealed to us as it has been to Paul but God has been gracious even to the unbeliever the the message that we should be speaking uh, when we are evangelizing to our neighbors and our friends and our children and our loved ones and even those unloved ones in our lives should be to recognize the grace of God and most certainly uh, the fullest extent of that Jesus Christ going to the cross grace of God has never been absent from this earth and and in fact when we start examining these things we will see that there are many uh, many times when God is gracious and I said to you this morning we often think about God being gracious God extending grace to good men as we say after all that's sort of how we view ourselves as good men we come back to church we tell man God was so good to me God was so gracious this week and we 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 almost insinuate it's from a point because I am his, but what we understand is that God was gracious and has been and will forever be gracious even to sinful men. Even unsaved sinful men. I, I think of times in the Bible where God was gracious. We think about the good times. God was gracious to faithful men like Daniel in the lion's den. Oh man, he was faithful. We think about David trusting the Lord, taking the stone. God was gracious. How many times have we ever thought about God being gracious to Abraham and Sarah when they sinned and thinking uh, that God was making a mockery, saying that she could have a child, thinking that he could have a son? How about when David uh, would sin with Bathsheba, when he would commit murder, many other sins that David committed God was gracious Paul makes the uh, makes the defense for God's graciousness and while he was the chief of sinners a blasphemer God was gracious this morning I can not think of a better time than when God was gracious as than when he was calling me and I was rebellious the new covenant has been made the first is obsolete God is gracious in a time of sin Romans chapter 8 says because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subjected to the law of God neither indeed can be so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God and what Paul declares and even the penman of the Hebrews this morning with his text is that God is still gracious he's worthy of worship he's worthy of praise Ephesians chapter 2 describes the ultimate, uh, the ultimate efficacy of that grace of God that has been given to the believer. 
It says, and you were dead in your sins or fences and trespasses in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. That was you. That was me. Among them, we too, he says, all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. Everyone, none without. If that is the case, when has God ever not been gracious? The case is being made this morning that God is, not only like we like to say God is love, God is grace. God is mercy. God is perfection. God is salvation. Jesus is God. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And I thought this morning, if we would understand the grace of God, we would see this morning the need and have the desire to worship him, as it says. Created. For good works. God was gracious when there was none. I thought this morning. If I'm going to be preaching. I ought to start with myself. Examining the grace of God. I had an opportunity yesterday. To examine my shortcomings. In the grace of God. I'll tell on her. She's not in here. Bethany was a little moody yesterday. And I said, listen, I got to go somewhere. I said, I'm going to leave you home with the baby because I'm having a good day. I don't want to have a, I don't want to dwell on these bad things and, and whatever this bad mood is that you're having. And she wouldn't ever say anything. Finally, she told me she was dealing with some things, thinking about her family this week, her brother and her father's birthday. You guys know the situation. And it was for that reason she had a bad mood. And it was for that reason that I needed the grace of God because I had not considered this morning when we sit here and think uh, that we are recipients of God's grace, it is because I have been a terrible husband. Many of you, uh, you wouldn't admit it. Your wife may, but you wouldn't admit it. You've been a terrible husband. You've been a terrible spouse. You've caused your children to sin. You've caused your friends to sin. You've caused yourself to sin. Overlooking it and the grace of God has exceedingly abounded upon your life and that he would forget those things praise god this morning people are sitting in pews and we know that they're not able to come to christ on their own but their excuse for it is they're not good enough and they want to keep hiding in sin and what we must understand is that the grace of god allows us to admit and demands that we repent of those sins think about that a lifestyle of repentance because the grace of God has been before 
the creation of man. James chapter 4 says, But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We want to understand how God works. We must understand that God is giving grace even uh, to the worst of the unbelievers and to uh, the most righteous of the believers. But at the same time, should we find ourselves in a state of humility before God, it says that he gives more grace. Can't have too much of a good thing, right? We should not be satisfied to one extent uh, with the measure of grace in which we have received. We should be uh, looking and searching for every measure of sin in our life that we would commit it to the Lord and repent before him of it that we would in turn receive more grace. No one likes to deal with sin, but the reality is that the more that we deal with sin, uh, the more grace that God is giving. It's interesting that we can consider how good this God is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. He's describing a time again to the church at Corinth in which God's grace was prevalent when his dedication and when his attention and when his obedience was absent. He said, but it did not prove vain. It was worth it. The, the smallest graces of God were working in the life of Paul for something. He said, but I labored even more than all of them. He was talking about how good of a, a, a student he was. He was working. He said, I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. And there he is uh, picturing for us what he has done in his ministry, laboring. And then again, he, he, he says what he must because he's already declared, it was not I, but God. No room for Paul to boast in his ministry. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. I think often we look at Paul and think of him a, a great man of God. And it's because Paul was willing to say some things that we aren't always willing to say. Paul spent a great deal of time talking about other people's sin, but Paul spent a great deal of time talking about his own sin. Paul spent a great time before the Lord in repentance. No greater proof than that to see uh, his own admission of his iniquity toward God. He said, but he was working through me by grace. When we look this morning at this new covenant, we must know that, of course, it was a new covenant in the blood of Christ, the preeminent Savior who was before, who was the agent of God's creation there before time began and who will most uh, definitely be after this world is folded up and the new comes. Here he is presented a new covenant working through grace. Not working through simply obedient men or through sacrifices of bulls and goats or the keeping of the law, but working 
through grace. Thought how important this is for the church. Not only to be able to understand how Christ is working through us, through grace, but how we are as a people called to be working together in the gospel through the grace of Christ. How we are to overlook one another's transgressions the bible says it's the glory of a man to look past a transgression how may he do that if he not be gracious how may you be gracious if you not have times in which you are confronted with sin not even your own someone else's how can you show grace if everyone is perfect how can you be like christ uh, if you think that you are equal this morning the new covenant begs for the Christian, even the unbeliever, should he read it, to see the grace and mercy of God, the fullest extent of which is Jesus Christ upon the cross, a reality that we don't just celebrate this risen Christ on Easter, but as I said this past uh, two Sundays ago, that it must be every day. And even in that, God is gracious. He said some... Uh, Esteem one day as the Sabbath, some another. Be fully convinced in your own mind, some all days alike. And I think uh, that is uh, the moment in which God's grace is even to the believer being revealed and that he would call us to see that one day is worthy of setting aside, one day of rest, a day of uh, ultimate worship. But what he is also saying is that some will see the fullness of God and recognize that every day is a great day. Every day is a day of rest every day is a sabbath because it has been fulfilled in christ and that is the ultimate uh, view that we must take from scripture to see the fullness of christ the fulfillment of christ the saving of christ the grace of the lord jesus christ and then we can ask this question not merely of a covenant but of ourselves is the old becoming obsolete is it ready to disappear the answer with Christ should be more abundantly and more exceedingly every day, yes. For we are to be conformed to his image. We are to be sanctified. We are to be growing spiritually. Uh, not living on the milk, but moving to the meat. As we would see in weeks past. This morning is a wonderful opportunity to uh, find ourselves before the Lord in repentance. And faith in this grace that is able to save. A grace that is not only able to save, not has made salvation possible, but has made salvation a reality. That is the goodness of the grace of God. Let's pray. Father God, as we look at your word this morning, Lord, we thank you that we know that it is true, Lord, that we know that uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is reigning presently and eternally and lord that he is seated this very moment in order to make intercession for those whom you have given him or those whom you have appointed as well to salvation and we only ask this morning that by the reading of the word uh, lord and by the living by it that you may make us like him god that we may serve christ not uh, simply in heaven as we would put off these mortal bodies but that we may serve him even now as a good servant would or that we would be watchful 
that we would be mindful that we, we would not be found sleeping, uh, neither that uh, things are stolen from our neighbor or from ourselves, or that uh, we would not allow sin to steal away from us uh, the righteousness of Christ, that it would not cause uh, even one more need, oh God, for your forgiveness, though we know that you know, we shall forever remain indebted and we shall ever forever need forgiveness Lord we pray that you would keep us from sin by the word and by the power and by the spirit Lord by this Jesus Christ who has come and ascended and who still remains with us always Lord we pray that we would be attentive uh, to the spirit Lord that we may uh, find conviction over sin Lord that we may see the grace uh, of your almighty self before us or that we may be reminded of your goodness uh, amidst our weakness Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless this time of worship today and bless our meal or that you have prepared for us or that it would remind us of the great feast that we have in christ in jesus name we pray